watch mysteries on TV. Like a good mystery, I kind of got hooked on them a few years back. I had read so many theology books over the years, I was kind of getting burned out on it. It seemed like every theology book was saying the same thing, only in a different way by a different author. <coughs> and, and so I decided to embark on just kind of a different genre of literature for a while and turn to mysteries. And I like those kind of whodunit sorts of books. And it seems like in most of those whodunits or those mysteries, uh, identifying the suspect, the who, is relatively easy. You pretty much know from the get-go who done it. But in order to prove that they did it, you have to have a motive. You have to figure out why this person who did it did it. Well, this morning, we're, we're not going to be looking at a mystery. Rather, we're going to look at what I would call an adventure. And during each step of our adventure this morning, we're going to make a discovery about God's wonderful creation. And once we've made our discovery, that's going to lead us to the mystery part of this message. The mystery part of the message is, what was God's motive behind creation? Why did God do what he did? Now, to do so, I'm going to start with just the last verse in that scripture reading that Nancy shared with you this morning. Verse 31. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was what? Very good. It had been good up to that point, but now it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, I'm going to kind of take us through that entire chapter this morning. But there is something you need to know and understand before we even begin. And it's this. I firmly believe that God created the universe in seven literal 24-hour days and that the earth is no older than maybe six to 10,000 years. Now, the reason I say the earth is about 6,000 to 10,000 years is that the Bible isn't really very clear in its time frame. But a number of years ago, an archbishop by the name of Usher took his Bible and he began to read all of the begats. You know how Moses begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and there are all these genealogies in the Bible. And when he put all those genealogies together, <coughs> he came up with saying that from the point of creation through the Old Testament was about 4,000 years, and from the time of Jesus through today were about 2,000 plus. Now, I believe that's probably the very soonest that the world could have been created. But we need to understand something about the Jews. The Jews were not always very precise in their genealogies. In fact, what they did is they left out a bunch of people. They only kind of touched on people that they thought were relatively important. So it leaves a few holes in that 6,000-year period of time, but not enough to make it any more than 10,000 years. I'm also going to tell you why I believe that these are seven literal 24-hour days. And I know that this is an issue that a lot of people would like to debate. I mean, I've heard Christians debate whether these are seven 24-hour days or whether each day was, you know, stood for millions upon billions of years or whatever. Now, it's true that in, he, in the Hebrew language, the word for day, by the way, and the word is yom, that word can either mean a literal day, 24-hour period of time. It can also mean it's a period of time. But what Moses did was genius. Well, actually, what God put in Moses and put down in the Bible was genius. Because every time Moses talked about a day, he put a qualifier with it. He called it 
the third day, the fourth day. And in the Hebrew language, anytime the word is qualified by a number, it always means a 24-hour period of time. In fact, outside of the Bible, every time the word day, yom, is used with a qualifier, like 13th day or 14th day, it always means a 24-hour period of time. But for God and for Moses, even that was not enough. He included a second qualifier. Not only did he designate a day with a number, he also qualified it by, qualified it by saying an evening and morning. It's almost as if he put a number in front of the day and then put brackets around it to make sure that everyone would know throughout history what he was talking about. God created the world in those six 24-hour periods of time and not some millions upon billions of years. Now, of course, we could talk all about uh, that for days, literal 24-hour days, but that's not really our purpose here this morning. Our purpose this morning is to look at the creation of God, and by looking at the creation, what he created and how he created, I want us to see why he did it. Where do we fit into all of this? In order to do this, we're going to discover a few things about creation. You've got a little bit of an outline in your, in your worship folder. There's really no fill in the blanks. I think you'd be able to follow along. Here's one of the first things we discover. It is the orderliness of God's creation. You know, as you plow through Scripture, and by the way, I almost decided to do this sermon today. I mean, when I, I've been kind of going roller coaster the last couple of days where I've kind of felt good and I felt really bad. And in the midst of the time when I felt really bad, I felt like Sunday what I was going to do was have Nancy read that scripture reading. And then I was going to get up and I was going to say, the title of my sermon is what? In the beginning, God. If you can't deal with that, what else is there to say? Because if you can't get past those first words, in the beginning, God. If you don't buy that, you're probably not going to buy a whole lot of other stuff you see in Scripture. But then, fortunately, I felt a little bit better and decided to do a whole sermon. But I want you to notice, you know, if you've got Bible, you could underline it or even look back at that text. I want you to note some words in Genesis chapter 1. And the words are these, and God said, and the phrase, and it was so. God said, and it was so. And so we see the order of creation is how he did it. He spoke and it just happened. There was no series of steps. There was no evolutionary process in all of this. When God created the trees, we can pretty much assume that they had all of those age rings already in them. When God created Adam and Eve, he didn't create babies. He created full-grown human beings. When God created the earth, it had what we would, we would probably consider today the appearance of age. It, looks like, it looked like it had been there for a while. And when God created light, he formed it in streams and paths that would make it appear that it had been traveling for billions and billions of light years. See, God created in an orderly, thing, orderly way, and that's very important for us to understand. In fact, when you look at the creation story, this orderliness is divided up into like three different separations. I mean, the first thing he did was separate what? The light from the darkness. I mean, God spoke the light into being. Let there be light, he said. And then he separated from this stuff called darkness. Now, you know something? Scientists even today cannot quite figure out yet what light is. I mean, light sometimes acts like particles. Sometimes it acts like waves. We see light all around us. 
we really don't have a clue what light really is other than the fact we know it's not darkness. That's how bright we are. But we do know that God created it. And then God separated that light from the darkness. I want you just to picture this. I want you to picture, a, let's say, one square block. Just picture one square block. And on that square block is this huge, huge mound of gravel. Can you get that mental image? One square block, mountains of gravel. Then all at once, all of that gravel suddenly separates from that pile and stretches out into a series of roads across that field in, in every which way. That's kind of what God did. He separated the light, and then he kind of spread it all over to where it, it should begin. And just like those roads were built before any the places that they would lead to, God separated the light before he made any planets or stars it would come from. It was as if he separated the roads before he ever made the towns. But you think of another separation. He also separated what? He separated the waters in the sky from the waters on our planet. And by the way, if you can understand Genesis 1, the flood makes all kinds of sense. Remember, the initial step of creation was what? To create the heavens and the earth. It said it was without form. It was void. In, in verses 6 to 8, it says, And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made this expanse, or he made this heaven, and separated the water under the expanse from the water above, and it was so. And God called this expanse sky, or he called it heavens, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a side note here. If you got the King James Version, and you look at chapter 1, it, it'll probably use the word heaven. And that word heaven will actually be capitalized. But that's a translator's interpretation because there are no capital letters in the original Hebrew language. Now, you should also know that the word heaven is used three different ways in the Bible. It can either mean the sky, it can mean outer space, or it can mean wherever God dwells. But here it means the sky or the atmosphere or expanse. Now basically what things look like was that there was a layer of uh, water on the surface of the earth. Above that was a layer of atmosphere, of suspended water. And above that was another layer of water, kind of like a canopy. It was like the perfect greenhouse effect. That's the way God designed it. And it looked that way until the third day. And on the third day, we know it says, God said again, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. Wouldn't you like to have been there at the time of creation and watch all of that stuff happen? I think it would have been wonderful. Well, there's a third separation of God's creation. That was a separation of the water from the land. And while we really don't know what the world looked like exactly when he got done creating it, we know that the shape of the land changed significantly when the flood came. And we know that at the time of the flood, what did it say? It hadn't even rained up to the time of the flood. Did you know that? But it said, God opened the windows of heaven and let that water, that canopy, through. And it says the fountains of the deep broke forth. People had never seen that before. I bet that's a terrifying experience. I mean, things never looked the same after that. So in those first three days, we see three separations. He spoke, and it was so. And, and the, the, another three days were designed for man's sustenance. sustenance. 
Verses 11 to 13, God creates plants according to the kind. Then it says he creates the heavenly bodies as sign markers. Verses 20 to 23, uh, God created life in the water and the sky according to the kind. Verses 24 and 25, God created all land animals, again, according to their kind. Now, if you paid attention to that, what do you notice about all the living things God created? According to their own kind. In other words, fish make fish. Fish don't make birds. Birds make birds. They don't make lizards. Lizards make lizards, not monkeys. And monkeys make monkeys and not people, no matter how many millions upon billions of years you want to have that happen. God made animals and he made plants to reproduce with their own kind, to reproduce after their own kind. God had an orderliness to this creation. He spoke it. It was so three days of creation marked by, or six days of creation marked by separation and designing it for man's sustenance. Amazingly orderly. Here's the second thing you ought to notice about creation. It says that's the goodness of God's creation. If you went back in your Bible and looked at chapter 1 again, you're going to see some words that show up in verse 10 and verse 12 and verse 18 and verse 21 and verse 25. All of those verses end basically the same way. When God had done was done creating what he had done that day, he, it says he looked at it and it was good. Now, I, I got a clue for you. When God says something's good, it's really good, which kind of amazes us because at the end he said he looked at everything and he said, man, this is really good. <laughs> this is very good. Now, the question is, can we say the same thing today? Is our earth good? Is our earth very good? I mean, are we able to look at everything around in creation and say it's, it's wonderful? But not really. I mean, we know that hurricanes and tornadoes aren't good. We know earthquakes aren't good. We know disease is not good. We know that cancer is not good. So the question is, what happened? What happened? Well, something happened between the time that God created everything good and then all of the bad things that we see today. Anybody know what happened between what God created good and what we see today is bad? It's called sin. Sin entered the world. That original sin that was done by Adam and Eve, you can read that story in Genesis 3, and passed down to us through the ages. So suffice to say, the bad things that we see in creation today weren't there in the beginning. God spoke, it was so, it was good, there was no disease, there was no genetic defects, there was no death, no sin, no curse. It was good until Adam and Eve messed it up. And by the way, this is probably one great argument against a God-directed evolution. I mean, some people say, well, evolution's still there, but God did it. And um, you know, people who say that kind of argue uh, that death and disease must have somehow been around before human beings ever got on this world. But see, our Bible, and that's the lens through which we look at creation, says in Romans 6.23 that sin hasn't been around for forever. It says... Er, that, or that death hasn't been around forever, but the wages of sin is death. And if death is, a, is, as, is as a result of something else, then our whole belief in the salvation because of Jesus' death on the cross is messed up. 
But no, death is the result of sin. God spoke it. It was so. It was good. But sin ruined it. Well, okay, what can we say? We're trying to figure out God's purpose for doing this. We've discovered the orderliness. We discovered the goodness. Here's the third thing. We discovered the crown of God's creation. It says, then God said, let us make man. Let's make man in our own image. And when God created man, he did it as the capstone of everything that he created. He created man and woman in his image, his very likeness. But Now, that doesn't mean that we were created like little gods. What it means is that he created us to be personal beings. And personal beings are created to have relationships with one another. And you and I have relationships with one another, and God also created us to have a relationship with him. So not, and not only are we created in God's image, we're also made with God's provision. In other words, God takes care of what he makes. I mean, some people worry a lot about what they don't have. I mean, what does the Bible say? You know, having food and raiment, be content. Uh, God says, I'm going to meet your needs. I'll take care of you. I created you. I want to be in relationship with you, and I'm going to take care of you. And see, God has provided for all of our physical needs in creation. He gave us dominion over the animals and food for us, told us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He gave us his image. He gave us his provision. You and I are the crown of his creation. That's why every time I I think about people who say, we came from monkeys, I, I say, how do I compare that with the Bible that says we were created a little lower than the angels. Uh, when I'm at the College World Series in Omaha, they have a wonderful zoo. And I like going, I like walking through the shark tank where the sharks are actually kind of swimming all around, that kind of stuff. But the one place I also like to go to is the monkey house. But the only thing I don't like about the monkey house at that zoo is when you walk in, it has on the wall this panorama. The first one is a little itty bitty monkey. As you walk, the monkeys get bigger, and then the monkeys become chimpanzees, and then the chimpanzees become gorillas, and at the end, walking out the other end, is a full-fledged human being. I always feel like wanting to stand up and read the scriptures when I'm there, or at least to turn around and say, folks, look at this nonsense. What would you rather be, a little higher than a monkey or a little lower than an angel? I'll tell you what I'd rather be. I don't need any monkeys in my family. I'd like to be just a little lower than an angel. We are the crown of his creation. But it really gets back to this question, why did God do all of this stuff? I mean, on our adventure, we discovered the orderliness of his creation, the goodness of his creation, the crown of his creation. But what was God's motive? Why did God do what he did? And this is really our fourth point. What was the purpose of God's creation? If you look at verses 29 to 30, it says, then God said, and that those verses end up by saying, and it was so. Now, the mystery is this. Why did an all-powerful God create the universe? It certainly wasn't because he needed anything, because our God is all-sufficient. It's not because he was lonely or anything, because God existed way before the beginning of time in perfect relationship as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There was nothing lacking in God that caused him to create this world. God simply created the world that you and I live in today because he loves us 
and he wants us to love him. Those first three words of verse 29 say, Then God said. I mean, all of creation, the herbs, the plants, the trees, the fruit, the animals, the birds, the fish, the creepy crawlies, everything that existed, living and non-living, God created for one purpose and one purpose only. Now, I think on your sheet, maybe I put this down there, but Psalm 19 gives us the reason part of this purpose was there. I want to just read to you a couple of verses from Psalm 19. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. You know, when I read those two verses, I see exactly why God created this world. So he, as we look at it, we could declare His glory. We could see and proclaim the work of His hands. So we could, it, it helps us pour out speech and displays knowledge. So God created all of creation to point us to Him, to show us how much He loves us, to show us how much He wants us to love Him back. But not only does He want to point us to Him, He gave us creation, this world, as a gift. Isn't that amazing? That God created you to be in relationship with one another. God created you to be in relationship with Him. And He throws in a bonus and says, and by the way, all of this creation I created for you to enjoy. In verse 29 it says, Then God said, I give you. Now, when you get to be my age, the age of my wife and I, I'll use it as an example. One of the things that I know that Nancy and I often struggle with, particularly at birthday time or Christmas time or even 45th anniversary time, is what to give each other. We do this all the time. What would you like for Christmas? And, you know, and I know deep down in your heart, whenever those times come up, you really want to give somebody something, everything they could possibly want, all their hearts desire. And, and by the way, we're celebrating our 45th anniversary uh, tomorrow, and we did give each other something. Nancy gave me vacation Bible school, which she decided to be in charge with, and I gave her surgery. <laughs> but God willing, uh, when I feel better and vacation Bible school is gone, we're going to take off a few days and, and enjoy our, our anniversary. But we want to give good gifts to people. There's no doubt about it. And that's what God did for us at creation. He gave us everything. And he gave us dominion over it. And he did it for one reason, again, just to show us how much he loved us and how much he desires for us to love him. But what did we do with that? What did we do with it? Well, we acted like a bunch of spoiled little brats, a bunch of spoiled little babies. We took all of God's wonderful gifts, and what did we do? We just kind of turned our back on God. We looked at him and we said, this is all we get, creation? We want more. We said we want to be in charge. We don't want to follow any of your silly rules. And so we turned our backs on him. The amazing thing, however, friends, is that God did not turn his back on us. He said, obviously this whole world was not a big enough gift. I'm going to send you one more gift the very best gift I could ever give you, and that's the gift of His Son. He gave His only begotten Son as a blood sacrifice to pay for the penalty 
for our turning our backs on him. That's how much God loves us. And friends, we all need to be honest. Each of us has turned our backs on God in one way or another during our life. And until we repent of that and turn back to him, all we are is acting like a bunch of spoiled brats, brats on a way to a sinner's hell. But when we repent of our sins and when we trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and believe that that is sufficient to cover all of our sins, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then what happens? You will be saved. Just that simple. That's the promise of God, and it's a real promise. It's as real as the, all of the creation that is around you. Let me ask you this morning. Got any spoiled brats in here? Oh, man, we're really good at that nonsense, aren't we? How do we play games with one another? I mean, there are some people, because you didn't smile at them when you walked by in the hall, get angry at you. Oh, come on, suck it up, deal with it, build a bridge, get over it already. Don't be a spoiled brat. God gives you houses and he gives you cars and some people don't take care of them. Come on, folks, you know, get over it. Deal with it because it's a gift from God. I mean, we have trashed what he's given us. I'm just saying we ought to all be a little bit more concerned about our relationships with one another. To build those relationships with one another, not to bear grudges and not to gripe and complain or gossip or whatever, or be bitter or be angry. But God says you ought to have that perfect relationship like I want to have with you. Well, I hope that we're not spoiled brats all the time, but I know we all have within us that great capacity to do so. My prayer is that all of us really enjoy God's gifts and enjoy them for what they are and who they are and how much they are and not turn our backs on God. To show him a great appreciation and love by accepting that free gift of salvation. In the beginning, God. That's where it all started. God did it. God created it. Did it in an orderly fashion. Did it for the right reasons. It was perfect. It was good. Created us to be the crown of his creation. And he's told us to now go ahead and enjoy it. And may we indeed do that. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In our affirmation of faith this morning, we're going to speak some of these words about creation. Again, I'd invite you to stand and let's join together as we agree on this statement of faith.